0: Hello and welcome to The Thought Experiment. I'm Scott Berger, and I'm here to guide you through a series of hypothetical journeys through physics, mathematics, and philosophy. So, first off, you might realize that Andrew is not here this week. We, in fact, did record another podcast this week detailing the same subject as this one, although the recording method with which we used to record screwed up upon editing, so we had to drop it once again due to errors. But, nevertheless, the show must go on, and I'm just going to continue it solo. This week's thought experiment is called the Poincaré Conjecture, and it comes from a man named Jules-Henri Poincaré, a French mathematician, one of the greatest French and theoretical physicists and mathematicians of, of his time, and also throughout of history. He was born in 1854, so his career spanned the late 1800s and early 1900s, and worked alongside and uh and helped to inspire Einstein as I've been reading through uh through the latest biography book of him, which I highly recommend, which I've stated so in previous episodes of the of the thought experiment. Interestingly enough, he was born in Nancy, France, which you can imagine generated some sort of uh maelstrom of fun making of Henri Poncaire's birthplace perhaps during his teenage years, but during his college years especially. Poncare was the man that was working on relativity alongside with Einstein, sort of co-authoring it in a sense, but more or less didn't get the full picture. What Poncare did was he and Einstein technically worked independently of one another, but were developing the theory at the same time. The only problem is that Poncare had a few shortcomings in terms of actually believing what he was doing. So he sort of left it at that and didn't really pursue it much further, and then Einstein won all the fame and stuff off of it, but he didn't win the Nobel Prize off of relativity. Now, the Poincaré conjecture is a theorem, according to Wikipedia's intro paragraph, a theorem about the characterization of three-dimensional spheres amongst three-dimensional manifolds. It began as a popular, important conjecture, but is now considered a theorem to the satisfaction of the awarders of the Fields Medal. The claim concerns a space that looks locally like an ordinary three-dimensional space, but is finite in size and lacks any boundary, also known as a closed three-manifold. The Poincaré conjecture claims that if such a space has the additional property that each loop on the space can be continuously tightened to a point, then it is just a three-dimensional sphere. An analogous result has been shown in higher dimensions for some time. So we used a lot of fun words in there and I'm gonna attempt to define them now so we're not all lost in this mathematical haze of definitions. A three-dimensional sphere is a pretty obvious one. If we have the Earth, for example, we know it's a three-dimensional sphere because I can travel forward, backwards, left and right, or up and down. I can travel longitude, latitude, or change in elevation. A three-dimensional manifold is something that's a little more abstract. If you can imagine your carpet lying flat on the ground, you'll notice that it more or less only has two dimensions associated with it, length and width for the most part. Now, with this carpet, if you were to take the ends of it and bend them in opposite directions, you're in fact bending it in a third dimension. Now, we're of course assuming the carpet is infinitely thin, but you're still bending it into a third Dimension giving a two-dimensional carpet a third dimension of height as well. The Fields' medals themselves are sort of like the Nobel Prize for mathematics in a sense, just to equate them. Closed 3-manifolds are a little bit more abstract, and for the most part we won't really delve into them because it gets into some even more terms and things that we'll have to have to define, but for the most part a closed 3-manifold is pretty much the same thing as the carpet. So, the entire intro paragraph was sort of shady and hazy in terms of describing what this conjecture is really about. So, a good visualization is to imagine just a ball, just a sphere, bouncy ball, or whatever comes to mind. What I like to vision is the Earth with the lines of longitude and latitude on them, because we can easily assume that this is a two dimensional sphere w- in which the elevation doesn't really matter. So, this sphere, this globe sitting on a desk in front of us, has longitude, we can travel around the globe, or has latitude, we can travel around the globe, around the equator, or longitude, we can travel from pole to pole. This is essentially just a two-dimensional sphere existing in a three-dimensional space, given the fact that we can't bore a hole through through the globe. So this is what's called a two-sphere, a two-dimensional sphere, even though it exists in three dimensions. Now imagine, if you will, on this globe sitting in front of you, the equatorial line going across it. So if this equatorial line were to sprout legs and leap up from the borders of the Earth, assuming elevation isn't really important here, but nonetheless uh, detached itself from the Earth somehow. Now we have the equatorial line that's detached from the Earth but still right about at the belt line of the earth. If we hold if we take a big nail and just nail that sucker directly into Ecuador and we take the other side of the loop and pull it up a little bit closer to the north pole so the other side of the equator, the equatorial line is up somewhere near Siberia or Russia. Now, of course, we'll have a little slack and we'll have slack to deal with. But for the moment, let's just tighten up that equatorial line, sort of like a big belt loop around the Earth. So we have the buckle on the front end where Ecuador is and we're just tightening up all the loose stuff from the other side. Now if we bring the other side even closer and we bring it around the pole such that the other side of the loop is somewhere up on Canada and the entire equatorial belt is now just a big giant circle on North America, again with our big nail nailed through Ecuador, we can tighten tighten it even further such that the circle is only over South America. And even so we can tighten it even further until the equatorial line shrinks and shrinks and shrinks all the way down to a point. So that's great. So we have taken the equatorial line, turned it into a giant planetary belt, tightened it around the Earth and tightened it back to its original little point to where we have Tighten it all the way around the nails for as far as we can. So what does this show us? What's the point of tightening a giant belt around the planet? As Andrew would say if he was here, this proves how higher dimensions can exist in a two-dimensional world. Now, if you were to imagine yourself on the surface of this two-sphere, on the surface of the elevationless globe, you would see yourself in this sort of purgatory-like Place where everything's flat, there's nothing going on, a really boring sort of drab environment, and totally flat for the most part. As you were to walk, you would pretty much see no change in elevation. You wouldn't really notice that the Earth is curved at all. But doing this experiment shows that, in fact, there is distance between your feet and the other side of the globe. Instead of it being a big flat old plane that you're walking across on, it's a curved space that the space beneath your feet is actually curved. Well, that's all well and good, but how does this apply to the real world? We live in a multi-dimensional world. For example, we have three dimensions, not just the two that we're limited with on the two-sphere. We can move forward and backward, we can move left and right, but we can also move up and down. Accordingly, we also have one associated time dimension. We'll get more into this next week, but we now have four dimensions. But how is it possible that we would be able to surmise extra dimensions from our lower dimensional world? The Poncare conjecture sort of offers a simplistic, and I want to avoid using the word simplistic because there's lots of books that you can go out in any bookstore under the science section and find books on the Poncare conjecture. It was just, just solved recently and won the, the uh, Nobel Prize for math, in a sense. So to say it's simplistic, in a sense, is sort of demeaning the conjecture and the theorem associated with it. But it is a simplistic method in which to determine higher dimensions in a lower dimension world. We've often talked about string theory on this show. And string theory, of which we'll explain more in depth in later shows, is a branch of physics that deals with 11 dimensions of space and time. 10 dimensions of space and only one of time, so far as I know. And in terms of validating these other seven dimensions, we would need some means of probing into these dimensions because string theory posits that such dimensions are so infinitesimally small, somewhere on the order of making atoms look almost like the radii of solar systems, it's nearly impossible to prove that the space that we're moving around, the space that my mouth is talking through, the space that you throw a football through, through the air, on the earth, anywhere in the universe, anywhere, that that space has little itty bitty tiny curved points in it to which we're also traveling through but one way to show this would be through a poincare conjecture-ish sort of fashion where we take some sort of experiment in a two-sphere or in our case a four-sphere we could say with our four dimensions and try to posit the extra dimensions out of them by teasing them out through means of probing in ways that we didn't really expect to find to be a typical way to probe them. At the moment string theory is just short of being proved. Although it has very poor mathematical construction behind it and also very poor mathematical validity to it, the boundless prospects of the theory keep people working on it nonetheless. Answers to questions like what came before the Big Bang, ...or how to reconcile general relativity with quantum mechanics... ...questions that are just pulling at the edges of the hairs of physicists right now... ...could easily be solved by such string theory. But in order to determine these extra higher dimensions in a multidimensional universe... ...we, with our lowly four dimensions, would have to somehow pull a belt around the universe... ...metaphorically speaking, of course in order to determine these extra dimensions. Well, that's all for this week. It was a short podcast, and it was kind of a shame not having Andrew here to join me. But for sure, we'll make it up with our next episode for next week, detailing general and special relativity. It'll more than make up for the length of this show, and also the quality thereof, in terms of dealing with all sorts of fun stuff like how to travel through time and how to get yourself stuck in a garage that's too small for you to fit through but that's all for this week and thank you want to rock but everybody wants to rock